the 11th chapter. We're going to begin this last chapter in the first half of the book of John. So that will give you an idea about how much longer we're going to be in the book of John. We've got about another half of the book to go. Uh, I have told you that my plan is to take a short break from the Gospel of John after we complete the 11th chapter in the, uh, for the fall, just perhaps some weeks, do a topical sermon series, and then we'll come back to this gospel and pick it back up in John 12. Our text this morning is John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. It is the passage that sets the stage for our Lord's great miracle, raising Lazarus from the dead. And so we will look at this text, and in it, it is my prayer that we will see the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word, for the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, The Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest to sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us. May it not just be words on the page, but may your word be life to us. 
as we study your word, may we see our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we know him better and know what he has done for us, that we may give him all the glory. This we pray in Christ's precious name. Amen. John 11 marks the last chapter in our Lord's ministry before he goes to Jerusalem to go to the cross. In the next chapter, chapter 12, we have our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem and the accounts of Passion Week will begin. But this last chapter before that is anything but ordinary. In this chapter, Jesus will perform his most remarkable and significant miracle of his ministry. That is, the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. In the opening of this chapter, we see Jesus preparing his disciples and us for that miracle. Like with all of his miracles, Jesus wants to show us who he is and what he has come to do. The point of the miracle is that we would know Jesus. And so as Jesus prepares to go to Bethany, we see three things. First, we see Jesus' love. The love that Jesus had for Lazarus' family and for his disciples. Second, we see Jesus' decision. Jesus' decision to wait and then to go to Bethany. And then thirdly, we see Jesus' purpose both in waiting and in going. Jesus' love, Jesus' decision, and Jesus' purpose. Let's begin then by looking at the love of our Savior. First, for his friends, this family. Our text begins, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany. And he is a certain man, but he's not an unknown man. John names him for us. And this is a known family. Now, I do realize there are many people in the Bible that we wish we knew more about. We're not given details, for example, of the man who was lame for 38 years. Or about the man who was born blind. Or the demon-possessed persons. Or even the couple who got married in Cana. Even some of the twelve disciples are a mystery to us. We know Peter. We know John. We know Matthew. But what about Bartholomew? Or Simon the Zealot? There are many people in the scriptures that we wish we knew more about. But this is not the case with the family of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. They are mentioned in all four of the Gospels, and they appear to have been close to Jesus. Jesus stays with them, he visits with them, and he interacts with them more than most. So let's think about each of them in turn. Lazarus may have been a quiet man, because while we hear of Lazarus in all of the Gospels, none of the Gospels mention him speaking. So he may have been a gentle, quiet man. 
He may also have been the youngest of the siblings if we look at verse 5 and see that he is listed last. That's very possible. Martha, on the other hand, may have been the oldest. She is listed first and she has no trouble with words. We remember her asking Jesus to rebuke her sister for not helping with the preparations for the meal. And in this chapter, it is she who goes directly to Jesus and tells him, if you had come, my brother would not have died. Mary seems to have given herself especially to Jesus. We remember her sitting at Jesus' feet, ignoring everything else that was going on in Luke 10. And John also gives us this detail as well in verse 2 that she was the one who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair. So this is a known family. It's also a loved family. And this familiarity that we see in the scripture shows that Jesus loved them. He spent time with them. He prioritized them. But John doesn't leave us to guess whether Jesus loved them. He tells us outright, first in verse 3, we hear the report of the two sisters. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Reminding Jesus that he loves Lazarus and loves their family. But John also gives us commentary on that in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He had love for all three of them. It's not just Lazarus. It's all three of the siblings. And because they know that Jesus loves them, they send to him. They are disturbed. And they look to Jesus for help. They are, I think, surprised by the speed of Lazarus' illness. In verse 3, there is a word that is missing in our translation. When they say, Lord, he whom you love is ill, after Lord in the Greek is actually the word behold, or look, or see. It's an exclamation. They are agitated. They are concerned. They are perhaps even panicked. And they say, Lord, you have to look here. He's ill. They are also a praying family. That little statement we just looked at in verse 3 shows that they knew that Jesus was the one to go to in their time of need. That he was their hope. Certainly they were taking other precautions. I would presume that there was a doctor in the house. That they were trying to feed their brother nourishment. That they probably had cold compresses that they wiped his brow. They were caring for him. But they went to Jesus. Because they knew that that was the most critical thing. They made their need known to Jesus. It wasn't a long explanation, but it was an urgent cry. And this, I think, guides our prayers. No matter what else we may do in times of difficulty, we must cast our needs on Jesus. We may think that we have the situation in hand. We may think that we're doing what we've always done, that the matter is not unusual. But in all of life's difficulties, we are to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are to go to Him in prayer because He alone is the source of our strength. He is our help in trouble. And so I ask you, does that mark your life? Do you go in prayer to the Lord in challenging circumstances, in times of trouble and suffering? Or do you work as hard as you can to keep it in hand, not letting anyone else know that you have difficulties, thinking that you can't bother God? Mary and Martha are a guide to us. They were in trouble, and they went to Jesus. Second, you'll see how they made their request. Lord, he whom you love is ill. They made their request based on Jesus' love for Lazarus, not the reverse. They didn't say, Lord, our brother who loves you is in trouble. Come. And if we think about it, that's often how we approach difficulties. When we need help, we'll say to someone, can you help me after all I helped you last month? Can you come to me after all I've cared for you and I love you? And, and we seek to find a foundation for having our needs met based on our abilities. But that's not the biblical way. You see here, Mary and Martha plead Jesus' love for Lazarus. And this is a great encouragement. Because our help from Jesus does not depend on our faithfulness. It does not depend on our love for Him. He is the ground of our salvation. Matthew Henry, the famous Puritan, puts it this way. Our love to Him is not worth speaking of. But His love to us can never be enough spoken of. We go to the Lord and we plead His promises to us. His love to us. Jesus heard their cry. And the rest of the chapter shows his love for them. But this incident also shows Jesus' love for his disciples. It's an opportunity for him to show them his power. That he can be trusted. That he is able. And this will be very important for them in the coming weeks. The disciples will be tempted to wonder if Jesus is able, if all is lost when he goes to the cross. Jesus is giving them a clear picture of his mighty power over death. He is showing them how great his love is. You know, you are a disciple of Christ. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Are you tempted to judge his love by the circumstances around you? By how easy your life is? By how without trouble you are? Don't. Lazarus died. And that might seem to show that Jesus didn't care for him. But the exact opposite was true. Jesus loved him, and death could not separate them. That is true for you today, if you are in Christ. But we come now to the second thing we learn about Jesus. 
Jesus' decision. It is a decision to go to Bethany. Jesus' love puts him into action. This is what the family was counting upon. But we should not miss the complication at hand. Jesus going to Bethany was not a simple thing. It is an important reminder to us of Jesus' love and his commitment to his people. In verse 7, Jesus tells them directly, let us go to Judea again. It's simple. It's direct. But we have to remember the context. The context from chapter 10. The last time that Jesus was in Judea, the Jewish leaders tried to kill him. They picked up stones and they wanted to kill him. John tells us at the end of chapter 10 that Jesus escaped from them and he went across the Jordan and he remained there in verse 40 of chapter 10. And this fact is not lost on the disciples. Look with me at verse 8. Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and are you going there again? So Jesus says, let us go to Bethany and they say, uh, let's just hold on a minute here, Rabbi. Do you remember the last thing that happened in Judea? You remember all the big stones they picked up to throw at you? And, you know, we're going to be standing with you. That means they're probably going to throw stones at us, too. Shouldn't we think about this a little bit? Maybe have a committee gather together and gather information, what would be best and safest have a plan. Let's not rush into this, Lord. Now, Jesus is not being rash. He's not rushing in. He's not being unthinking. Remember, he is God. He knows exactly what is going on. He knows that the Jews do not have the power to overcome his purpose. That they cannot stop him from finishing his ministry and going to the cross. He knows that his Father's will will be done. That nothing can stop it. And he knows that he must do the will of God. No matter what hazard or threat is in the way. And so this is a learning opportunity for his disciples. Jesus explains this to his disciples in verses 9 and 10. Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Now this is a statement that seems odd. I've just read it now twice this morning, and my guess is many of you still don't really understand what it means, or what Jesus is trying to prove by it. Let me see if I can help. Jesus is saying that there is a time allotted for life and work. That's the daytime. You see, we don't understand that because in Jesus' day, you had to do all of your work in the daytime. And when the night came, you didn't go out and do things because there were no flashlights. There were no uh, electric lamps. There were no lights of any kind. And so if you went out into the darkness you were likely to fall and hurt yourself. So the nighttime was a time when no work was to be done. Work was designated for the daytime. Now, we don't have this mentality because we rely on our electricity. 
As a matter of fact, for many of us, we will delay doing the work that should be done in the daytime because we know we have the night to do it. Have you had that experience? I'm sure every father here on Father's Day has had that experience. When you've asked a child to do something and you get the answer, oh, I'll get around to that. Oh, that's something I'll get to later. And you think to yourself, now is better than later. Do it now. But it gets pushed off because we have a reliance that we think everything is within our control. In Jesus' day, it was obvious that it was not. So what Jesus is telling us through this metaphor is that now is the time to work for God. Now, this life that has been allotted to us is the time for us to do the Lord's work. We don't wait. Young people, you may think you can sit and wait and not work for God. That you'll have plenty of time when you grow up and leave the house. And now's the time for video games and phones and music and everything else you want to do. And you can deal with serious things later. Jesus is telling you, no. You have been given a life. And you are to work for God during that life. Older saints, you may think that your work for God has passed you by. And that you can no longer work for God because you don't have the same physical strength, perhaps, that you once had. You may not be able to lift furniture for God. But you can pray. And you can teach. And you can disciple. And you can encourage. As long as you have breath. You can work for God. And what this means is, is that we can be fearless in serving Christ. Christ was not pushed into inactivity because he was afraid of the Jewish leaders. No, no. He was bold and moved forward. Now, being fearless is not being reckless. But we should not be paralyzed by fear. God has appointed our times, and lives. We are not to wait for a better time to serve the Lord. We begin now. This statement also reminds us that to work outside of the will of God is to invite danger and stumbling. Because when we seek our own way, when we make up our own rules, when we walk blindly through life apart from the lamp of God's word, we're courting danger. We stumble and fall. We cannot make our own way. Too often today, believers try to make their own plans without studying and following God's word. They act as if God's word is not relevant because after all, that's what our society and our culture is constantly telling us. You don't need the Bible. The Bible is old and outdated. It's no help. It's not relevant. You need these studies, or you need the latest technology, or you need the latest views about people and morality. But God's word is always relevant. When you follow God's word, you will be sure and you will not stumble. But Jesus' decision to go is not what we would expect. Now, Jesus is God. So he knows all things. He knew that the Pharisees could not arrest him before his time. 
And so he would go. But he also knew that Lazarus would die. He would tell the disciples that himself in verse 11 before it was ever announced. And so we would expect Jesus to move heaven and earth literally to get to Lazarus and save him. But there is an odd statement that Jesus makes in verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, what does this mean? It can't mean that Lazarus would not physically die, because he did. I think instead there's a deeper meaning, a meaning that we need to hear. There is no true death for those who are loved by Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus said, that they will never perish, and that no one can snatch them out of my hand? Jesus is about to give us a picture of that. Jesus knew both his intention and his power to raise Lazarus from the grave. And you need to hear that today. No matter what you're going through, and I know for many of you, it is significant. No matter how hard your circumstances are, Jesus will not let you go. His power leads to eternal life. There is a resurrection waiting for every believer. Do you know that? Does it give you hope? Does it give you confidence? What a comfort to know that Jesus has a resurrection for us. But Jesus' waiting was also a part of his plan. See, we're used to thinking about rushing around, rushing against the clock to avoid problems. Not Jesus. He waited. Do you notice not just what Jesus did in waiting, but why he did it? Look with me at verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus heard Lazarus was ill, and that made him delay. That seems completely counterintuitive. But I don't want you to miss the little first word. So. This word isn't always translated so in the Bible. It's often translated another way that I think will help us. This word also means, therefore. Now, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? When we see a therefore, what do we do? We look back to see what the therefore is there for. Jesus delayed, why? Look back with me. So that God would be glorified and the Son of God glorified through it. Jesus' delay was purposeful so that God would be glorified. He waited for Lazarus to die so that his purposes would come about. It was actually Jesus' love that motivated his waiting. He loved Lazarus. He knew what he would do with Lazarus. He knew how it would bring God glory, and so he waited Now, that does not make it easy for you and me to wait for God. Can you imagine Martha and Mary? 
I think you can because some of you have waited on the Lord. They're sitting in their home. There's no text message that's going to come in to tell them what's going on. There's no report. Even the one who brought Jesus the news of Lazarus' illness had to take a day's travel to get there and then a day's travel to come back. So they're sitting on pins and needles, looking out the window, looking out the door, pacing in the house, wondering when Jesus is going to get back. Waiting is hard. Don't minimize that. But don't forget that Jesus has his plan in view. And that his plan is good. He is greater than your circumstances. That brings us to the last thing. We've seen Jesus' love for this family and his disciples. We've seen Jesus' decision to go, but to wait before he goes. And now we see the reason why Jesus waited. We see Jesus' purpose. Now, we can think generally about this. That Jesus had other matters in mind beyond the immediate physical illness of Lazarus. That there were other things that Jesus was taking into account. It's been famously said that God is doing thousands of things in your life right now, only a few of which you are even aware of. God is constantly at work and your life touches other li- others' lives and their circumstances. Something may happen to you because God is working in the life of another, or, or vice versa. So, this doesn't minimize Lazarus' need, but he and his sisters had other needs as well. Their faith needed to be strengthened. They needed to know who Jesus was and what he had purposed for them. It wasn't just a physical healing that they needed. They needed to be strengthened in their faith. And we can see this in what happens after Lazarus' resurrection. Lazarus may have been a quiet man. And we don't read in the Bible of him speaking. But after his resurrection, we see that he became a powerful witness for Jesus. John tells us this. In the next chapter, chapter 12, verse 11. On account of him, that is Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So Lazarus became a powerful witness. Many Jews were converted through his testimony and witness. He was changed by Jesus. He wasn't just healed. Martha is no longer the scattered frustrated servant she once was. When we next see Jesus with her in chapter 12, she serves and there is no hint of a complaint. She has been touched by Jesus. Mary gives herself even more to Jesus. She will not only sit at his feet, she will anoint his feet with expensive ointment. She holds nothing back from Jesus. Jesus is going to strengthen the faith of these siblings. But this is also a blessing for Jesus' disciples. 
Jesus acts contrary to their expectations. First, by agreeing to go into danger, into Judea. And then second, by waiting until Lazarus is dead. Jesus intentionally waited so that Lazarus would have been dead four days. That's what we read in verse 17. That meant that Lazarus was surely and definitely dead. If I can put it this way, Lazarus most certainly was not mostly dead. He was fully dead. Jesus is going to show his disciples this seventh great sign of his deity and power. And no one is going to be able to give praise to anyone other than Jesus. You remember the famous line that we will come to later. I love the authorized version. When Jesus says, roll the stone away. And they say, but Lord, he stinketh. He's already decaying. No doubt in anyone's mind that he was dead. Jesus is going to show his power. And Jesus tells us this in verse 15. For your sake, I am glad that I was not there. What? Jesus, you're glad that Lazarus died? No. I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Jesus wants your faith to be strengthened through this incident. You see, this is for you too. You are disciples of Jesus. Are you frustrated and fearful because of your life? Are you wondering if you can make it? Do you need encouragement that following Jesus is actually worth it? That Jesus is the only true Savior? You have it right here in this passage. Jesus' purpose is for you to see that he is God. That he is the conqueror of death. That he is the one who loves you and will save you. Do not forget this little so. Jesus delayed so that you could see his love for you. Nothing can separate you from that love. That is something that you can count on. But as wonderful as the comfort of Jesus' purpose is for us, that's not his highest purpose. We're given that in verse 4. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Lazarus would not ultimately die. He was only fallen asleep because God would be glorified in this. Jesus could have gone to Bethany right away and healed Lazarus. And God would have been glorified in that. But the cross was right before Jesus. The time is short. The message of the gospel needed to be trumpeted out before the Jews. So Jesus does something even better than healing. He waited for Lazarus to die, to be in the tomb, to be beyond human help. And then he raised him from the dead. And the result was that God was glorified and that many believed in Jesus. 
That's what John will tell us in verse 45. Many of the Jews who had come with Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in Him. Jesus wants you to see Him and know Him. Nothing should get in the way. It may be very difficult to set aside your will and your thinking for the will of God. It may be hard to bear up under suffering and pain. Jesus is not telling you that your suffering is unimportant. He is instead saying that He is greater. That His purpose and plan cannot be stopped. That you can trust Him in the middle of trials. Will you do that now? Do you know this Jesus? Who loves His people so much that He shows them that death has no power over Him. I am glad that Jesus was not with Lazarus when He died. So that I could believe. I pray that you are glad and that you believe also.